Are you looking for a new podcast in your life, Matt? How did you know? Are you looking for one that combines your passion of comedy and your notorious deep love of music? That's exactly what I'm craving. Well, then you should listen to The Super Group. Yay! On each episode of The Super Group. Tawny Newsom, Alex Kleiner, they invite a comedian and a musician to write and record an original song with them over the course of a week. What fun! I hear them jamming sometimes in the hall. I run into Tawny. You know, I love Tawny because... Not to brag, I wrote on the show Bajillion Dollar Properties. Okay. Tawny was on there. We get it. Do you know what Tawny's character's name was? Chelsea Lately. Oh, that's that right. Great? That's so It's a hyphenated made-up name. Anyway, who cares it. about that? Because we're here to talk about I the Supergroup. Okay. Uh, and on the Supergroup, you will hear every step of their process. You'll hear songs created with some Earwolf faves. Here's what you do. You go to stitcherpremium.com slash supergroup. You use the promo code homophilia. You get a free month of Stitcher Premium. Oh, God, what a week. Oh, my What a world, goodness. what a life. We both stepped into this studio. Just shook. Shook. Shook rocked, is really the only word for rocked, it. Rocked, rattled, and rolled. Rocked and rattled and rolled. Um, would you like to talk about your I, I, My dad's experience? an asshole and I hate him. I don't know that. Oh. That was mine, basically. So I came in just in an emotional state and it was like, I don't want to be thinking about bullshit because we have one of our best gets in my we sure do. mind we sure this do. week that we've ever had. Yeah. So um, you want to be you want to be relaxed. Yeah, you don't want to be thinking about your fucking daddy issues. No, you don't. Um I had a couple hours in between recording something else here and having to, and coming back for mm-hmm. for this episode. So I was like, I'm going to go to the gym. So I go um I don't belong to any of the Hollywood gyms. So I was like, I'll just go to Equinox and get a day pass. Can't get a day pass at Equinox. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Crunch. I'm going to be a West Hollywood boy who's significantly younger than I am. And I'm going to go to Crunch. So I go and I get a day pass. They will for sure give you a day pass. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I have a training run to do. So like I have an hour to just run. So I do, and I don't have a lock for my locker, and it's, all my stuff is there. I'm uh-huh. thinking about, like, you know, tweakers, you know, taking my Buck Mason pants. Oh, no. All, all of my valuables are in the tray of the treadmill. But then there's all construction going on because it's crunch. It's always under construction. Always under construction. It's and l- Land on a, on a, on a goddamn uh, yeah. layout, who are Who are you, crunch? Who are you, crunch? Um. And I remembered that when I checked in, the guy was like, yeah, we're doing some things with the locker room. So the bathroom is down. It's out in the plaza. And I was like, okay, fine. So I step off a treadmill that I have been on for an hour. And and of course, I go down to the bathroom that's down in the plaza. And it's just a bathroom. It's just a men's room. Yeah. And so I have a change of clothes to change into to come here. I'm drenched in sweat. And it's just a bathroom. There's not a shower. Yeah. And bathroom, I should add, frequented by homeless people. Yes. 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 The, the most popular homeless people bathroom. Yes. So with that knowledge in mind, I just basically have to take a shower and a sink. So – oh, and by the way, before any of this, two treadmills down, one of the Toms from Vanderpump Rules. I'm not sure which one. Oh, wow. Because uh, I, I can't tell them apart. A Tom or a Tom? Uh, yeah, it was, it was either Tom or Tom. Um, it's fairly attractive. I would have liked more calf definition. That's a well, complaint. Whatever. You, you, you could say that about anyone. I guess that's true. Um, so that, that was an exciting sighting. Best of luck to you on Tom Tom, which is apparently opening soon. Yeah. So, so that – yeah. So I literally have to like f- with – 
with like push pump soap that's pink. Clean my body. Take a clean my body bath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Um, like the people who typically use that bathroom, several of whom are also in there using it in that way, couldn't shower. Um, so, and I'm still sweating. You know, that thing of just like when you get off a treadmill, you can't stop sweating. Or if you take a shower too quickly, yeah. even one in a sink, you're you like, just. like, why did I even bother? By the way, I'm looking at the freshest version of you I've ever Is that seen. true? I would never have known any of this went down. Don't get too close because I smell the, the, like, I smell like goats. No. I, like I don't a believe it. Herd of goats. The hair's on point. You look fresh. Thank you. You look rested and healthy. And thanks. You look great. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, but it's false. Uh, what else is going on this week? What have you What have you seen? What have you done? Uh, Deanna Chang and I went to the Comedy Central roast of Bruce Willis. Well, I saw that content on Instagram. Have you ever been to a roast? I have not. It is my least favorite kind of entertainment. It is mine too. I hate but it so way, much. By the way, we had so much fun. It was fun to like get dressed up and basically go to like Viacom prom, which sure. is what it feels like. I, it also is like literally all executives and agents and then us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once it started, I realized, oh, I don't like. I said this to Deanna, awful. I'm not kidding. I would like a version of a roast where you just have to say nice things about people. That, that does exist. Be, oh, that's okay. a live show. I think it's called Boast Rattle. Instead oh, okay. Of roast well, Rattle. I should anyway. check that out. That's yeah, you probably should. more my speed. Yeah. But uh, and now the it's already out there. This is not news. But um, we were all wondering who this. I guess there's normally a surprise guest uh-huh. because the dais was like, yeah, who, was, who are we talking we, about? Okay, so or, we had, have you signed uh, an NDA? No, I signed nothing. Nice. Um, so we had uh, uh, a couple of the usuals, like your Kevin Pollocks and your um, uh, the guy who always does them. Um, who's I, anyway? Doesn't matter. Some people who are interchangeable in my mind. Uh-huh. But then you've got Dennis Rodman. Okay. And I don't know if you know this. Deanna has been uh, as, as sort of trying some um, North Korea advocacy with Dennis Rodman where she will just tweet at him regularly to try to ask him for help because she knows he might be our only hope. Anyways, <laughs> so this is a big moment for her to maybe make direct contact with Dennis Rodman. Oh. Um, he, by the way, God bless him, couldn't speak. Oh, no. I mean, couldn't get two words out. And at He's one point, I, cu- I couldn't trace, like, what is your connection to Bruce Willis? But at one point, and I I'm also w- reading the teleprompters to see, like, yeah. what are people saying and not saying. Can I see if I remember this? Yeah. W- were he and Bruce Willis in a movie together called Double Team? No idea. Sounds right. Okay. Sounds like a thing. Okay. But at one point, his line, I can see on the teleprompter, is just some some arbitrary thing like, Bruce has done so much for people in the industry. And then blah, 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 go on to joke, joke, joke. Uh-huh. Dennis gets to, Bruce has done so much for people, chokes up, is so is so overwhelmed by that line, has to step away from the mic and like walk in circles for two minutes. Oh, my God. While well, people are cheering him on, you can do this. Anyway, that was Dennis Rodman. We also have Martha Stewart, who fucking killed. Sure. We had Sybil Shepard. Oh, who, wow. Deanna and I got on our feet and screamed. For, we were the only ones to, to stand up for Sybil Shepherd, but she was great. Nikki Glaser, uh, uh-huh. um, and, and a lot of jokes about Martha Stewart's vagina and uh-huh. how old Sybil Shepherd looks, whatever. Hosted by Joseph Gordon Levitt. What? Very punchable. Uh, wow. Oh. You know who killed? Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Okay. Great. Because they were in Moonrise Kingdom together. Oh, okay. So it was just a night of jokes about Martha Stewart's vagina. Uh It was the place where the Thai soccer team was, uh, you know, locked away. They finally escaped her vagina. And a lot of bald 
jokes and a lot of you can't act jokes. Uh-huh. That was it. Wow. That yeah, a good story? Those just bum me out. That yes. was a good story. But it's, ultimately, it will be unsatisfying because roasts are awful. I won't be watching. I'm no. i say that. No. It always seems like, oh, this will be fun. And then you turn it on and it's just like, oh, no, this is, just makes me feel bad. Yeah. It makes me feel bad. Which brings me to uh, Who is America by Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, are you which watching? Which premiered on uh, Showtime. I did watch the first episode and I hated it. Oh. Um, aside from the one thing which they had already put out about uh, kindergartners, kindergartians, sorry. Um, did you see that? Mm-hmm. It was – they got a bunch of gun rights people to read a script um, in support of a program that arms two to four-year-olds. Oh. And, uh, and it, I mean that one was extremely well done and it was very well written and all that. Right. But the rest of it was exact – like – as with roasts, like it was like, okay, you know, this guy's made me laugh before. I'm going to watch the show. And then five minutes in, I was like, oh, this is how I felt watching Borat. This is how I felt watching Ali G show. Yeah. I didn't even bother with Bruno for this reason because it just makes me sad. Like I don't need to be shown that the world is a cruel and nasty place. Like yeah. we, we're good on that fact mm-hmm. for now. Quite clear. Yeah, it's clear as day. And it's just not entertaining. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not revelatory in any way. It's not – I don't know. And how the fuck do you not know it's Sasha Baron Cohen? I know. At this point, come on. For the love of fucking Christ, who is working for you that won't look at the person that's interviewing you and say, like, can I talk to you for a minute? Because I think this might be Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Even if he hasn't done a show in many, many years, which he hasn't, you always have to be on the lookout for Sasha Baron Cohen. He's in Looking some kind of like disguise, Sasha right? Baron Cohen in a fake jaw. Oh, that's you know what the I mean? disguise. It's one of them. Wow. God almighty, people, get fucking with it. Well, I won't be watching it. that. Yeah, I have don't. one recommendation for you and for listeners, which is the okay. Whitney documentary oh, we boy. talked about on here recently. Yeah. It is so fucking great. And, up, and I've heard people talk, uh, like kind of criticize it for being sort of tawdry about the, the drug stuff and the mm-hmm. her sexuality stuff, but it's not at all. It, I mean, everything is addressed, but it right. is – I mean, there are two sequ- – it's, it's so moving. And there are two different sequences in it where I – Everyone was sobbing, not yeah. just crying. I, every, you could hear sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. I'm sobbing too. Michael's sobbing next to me. Yeah. It's great. Okay. Um, All right. She's a very good singer. That's yes, she was. My, that's the takeaway. <laughs> You're going out on a limb with that one? Uh-huh. Uh, my, my hot pick for the week, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before, eighth grade. It's now out yeah. in theaters. It is just so good. I want to see that. Oh, you must. It's absolutely fantastic. And by the time you hear this. We'll probably both be in line for uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. Give me some more straight people camp. Honestly, have not seen part one, which I know is shocking. Could not be more for me, but I have – and Michael's telling me I can skip it and go straight to part two. I bet that's true. I bet that's true. I have a feeling they'll make it palatable. They will certainly recap you on the events of Mamma Mia 1. Um, It's – not going to be good, but it's already my favorite movie that I've ever seen. I need it. Yep. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it badly. Also need to check in with John Lovett. Yes. Political genius. He was on Saturday Night Live for many seasons. He was on the show is, The Critic. Now, see, this is a different guy. Wait, what? It's a different guy. That's John Lovett. Oh, Lovett. That is John Lovett. Sorry. No. Um, this is the, the host of uh, Pod Save America and various other crooked media properties. Uh, best laugh in the business. Yeah. Um, A super sharp political mind at a fucked up political time.
Yep. And just, and a, a real savior. Yeah. Uh, and uh, later in the show, you will hear him shut me down on <laughs> questions about his love life. Tried my best, yep. but I do encourage you to go to his wiki page. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, here's our interview with John Lovett. Well, folks, what a perfect time in American history to have our guests. Ugh. I mean, this is exciting. It is. It's, it's quite a week. I don't know what you're referring to, but let's get into it. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it. I yeah. uh, use the host of uh, Love It or Leave It, one of the hosts of Pod Save America, yeah. a genius. Okay. Uh, a guy who gets my blood boiling in my car. It's maybe not healthy. Mm-hmm. John Lovett. Hi. How John. are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. It's also, wonderful Pundit to be here. Pundit is in the house. Pundit is, is oh. here. And she's everything I dreamed what she would be. She is an angel. Rolled she over, really gave me sweet. belly right away. Yeah. Everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know about referring to it as giving belly. Giving belly. <laughs> what, how else would you say it? I don't know. A different way. <laughs> <laughs> so we would, I mean, listen, you're, you're steeped in it right now. <laughs> sure. We would love to give you an opportunity to spend an hour not talking about mm-hmm. politics. Because mm-hmm. we rarely do that here. Frankly. Yeah. However, you almost can't get around it. Yeah. This we week. must. It's a wild week. It's a wild week. The, we're recording this on the day that our president, the day after saying he doesn't understand why it would have been Russia who hacked us, which the entire intelligence community agrees that it was. Today he was like, here's what happened. I said, I don't know why it would be them. I meant the other thing that I can't it always – I meant – Oh, I have the best words, but I can't yeah. – this one, I can't I, – I didn't know why it wouldn't be them what is it? what I meant to say Which in front of him. makes no sense in the context. No, it does not. Uh, and also took them 24 hours to come up with, mm-hmm. which uh, is a testament to just how uh, quality – the people around Trump are. I mean, these are the best <laughs> yeah. people. The best people. They had 24 hours – to solve for treason. And they came up with a double negative. <laughs> but are there people oh, who heard God. that and just go, oh, oh, he, I see. Oh, it was yeah. the Woodwood wood, classic. Right. I mean, there, you know, Rob Portman, who is a senator from Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, said, I take Donald Trump at his word. And I love that. Because, no, you don't. No one does. It is not possible. If you took Donald Trump at his word, your behavior would be crazy because he disagrees with himself all the time. No one takes Donald Trump at his his word. Not his supporters, not his opponents, not his family, not himself. So no no one believes this. I think the question is whether – Republicans can look, you know, some some congressional Republicans can manage to find their faces making the words to say that that explanation is acceptable because obviously it's not true, but it might be enough for them to just get out of the question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jesus. Any predictions on where what happened? <laughs> no, I do think that something has changed. You know, they're, they're you know, po- po- all these questions are legal, but they're also political. And so I don't, you know, we can't move Robert Mueller along. We can't uh, know what's going on in the you know the, the dark heart of that investigation, but we can look at how the politics are changing, and this does feel like a shift. There's been a few key moments when there has been shifts, whether it's Manafort and Flynn, whether it's Charlottesville, whether it's the Muslim ban, or uh, what's been happening with the separation of families. This Helsinki meeting felt like a shift, uh, and it's interesting because. 
it's not actually confronting us with new information. Right. It's it's just putting in stark relief what we already know, which is Donald Trump will not say anything negative about Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. And it, what was, to me, a sign of hope, although, you know, you can decide if it's hopeful, all of a sudden, this idea that a foreign leader has damaging information about the American president went from being a fringe idea to a rumor to a rumor to something maybe you could ask about, maybe you couldn't ask about, can you talk about it, to open topic of conversation. And, you know, Adam Davidson wrote this piece in The New Yorker uh, a while back, basically saying how he feels about what's happening with Trump as he felt about Iraq and as he felt about the financial crisis in the sense that we're reaching the part where we're finally talking about the truth and telling the truth and realizing the truth. And that to me is what feels different because from Chris Wallace to NPR, the topic of conversation was, uh, does Vladimir Putin have damaging information on Donald Trump? That is an extraordinary question, a question, uh, a question that uh, serious people were not thought to ask even two years ago. And so what's happening now is uh, what crazy people have been saying and what serious people are saying mm-hmm. are starting to meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. And the crazy people are a little, probably a little too crazy, but the serious people are starting to realize that the truth was a lot crazier than they thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So in times of crisis, we look to the helpers. Yeah, we do. I, I consider you one of the helpers oh my, and know, the straight guys. You are all the helpers <laughs> yep. in, in my mind. Sure. That's so nice. And have you seen the Fred Rogers documentary? Is that where yes. this is coming from? I haven't seen it yet. It's amazing. He's a little bit homophobic, but they sweep right by that. I don't. I didn't know that. Good. Now I'm learning that from you. Mm-hmm. Now. But it was it's a, a different, different time. time, which is what they all say. We're supposed to be like, that's right. We are. We To get on board with all of this. Yeah. Takes a lot. Anyway, I'm. But I'm wondering who who are the who are the helpers to you? Who should we be looking to? Oh, I think the helpers. So, new groups have formed. Whether it's Swing Left or Indivisible, old groups have taken on. I think a new sense of mission. Groups like Move On. Uh, those to me are some of the most obvious helpers. One thing that I've also noticed when I've gone to protests, it's not a big deal. I go to protests. Wow. Uh, it's my. I feel it as a sense of duty. I, I'm not. I'm not bragging. So, but I have to be out there. Sure, of course. That's who I am. Of course, got to be out there. Need to get pictures with you. I mean, yeah, yeah. A couple selfies. Day. You're in. You're in. You're out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what I've noticed too is that a lot of the groups that have been organizing for a long time tend to form the backbone of a lot of these protests. Whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter or unions or even Occupy Wall Street. And uh, some of the women's organizations, uh, Planned Parenthood, others. There's been a lot of groups that have been that have kind of been laying a groundwork to be ready to just help a new group of people be participants. And I think they have really stepped up in a way that I think is inspiring. So there are probably many others that I'm missing, but off the top of my head, that's that's what occurs to me. What is your self care <laughs> regimen? Yeah, <laughs> I actually. Um, I really try to avoid talking about politics at night, uh, a discipline of other conversations, you know, especially because I talk about it all day, but we all think about it all day. It's true for people who are uh, doing political podcasts and everybody else. Mm -hmm. I try to avoid it where I can. Like, hey, you know what? I'm good on this topic. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I'm not – you're not wrong to bring it up, but can we just talk about something else Mm -hmm. and just bring something else up? I love – you know – I have a group of friends I play board games with or do escape rooms with, and all of a sudden I'll realize two or three hours in that nobody's brought up politics, and I'll stop myself from even saying, hey, nobody's brought up politics, because that counts as bringing up politics. Yes, it does. Yeah. 
I also play video games. I have a PS4 Pro. I am going through the entire Dark Souls uh, collection. What's that about? (laughs) (laughs) So Dark Souls is a famously difficult video game. It's incredibly opaque. It is a beautiful kind of gothic horror world. And um, with, with fascinating oblique writing and an incredibly confusing <laughs> style of gameplay that uh, alienates a lot of people but also then turns the people that love it into uh, real fans. And I am one of those fans. Uh-huh. Wow. There's Dark Souls. Well, there was this uh, game called Demon Souls, which I, which I actually haven't played. But there's Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, and a game called Bloodborne. And I've played them all. I'm currently – I've – I've, I actually started with Dark Souls 3, and now I've gone back, and I'm in Dark Souls 2 right now. Uh-huh. And that's something that I can do for many hours. Okay. Many hours. Do you have then, other, what? No, go ahead. No, that's what, – what, what was your question? <laughs> uh, do you have any classic go-to video games? Comfort video games, if you will. You know, I have the little uh, – the, the, the Nintendo – the little Nintendo Classic and the Super Nintendo Classic that came out. So every once in a while, I'll pop on a Super Mario Brothers, have sure. a blast. Oh, Why not? You know? Nothing uh, I love Super Mario 3. Why not? Why not play Super Mario 3 for a while? Great. Best video – to me, I, I love the game uh, Portal and Portal 2. Together, to me, those are among the best video games ever made. One game that I will go back to every once in a while is called Shadow of the Colossus. Also a classic, a, a beautiful game uh, – incredible atmosphere of this it's a very uh japanese game i don't know how how else to put it but you fight these giant beasts describing video games makes them seem so unappealing (laughs) sure it's incredible you because it always ends up saying you always end up at the part where you say it's well written it's beautiful the scenes are magnificent the art direction is fantastic you fight these giant beasts with a sword (laughs) you know Uh you get Uh to that part Uh and there's no way around it yeah because every game i've described basically you end up fighting a big beast with a sword. Yeah. You know? And that's um, something I like to do. What about TV? What's Love it. escapist entertainment? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I am a pretty pretty average uh, television, prestige television consumer. Uh-huh. I'll watch a Westworld. Okay. I'll consume a Handmaid's Tale. I, mm-hmm. I, I like Handmaid's Tale. I do too. I'll like a Veep. Sure. I'm watching Secession. I've started Sharp Objects. Okay. I'm I'm the I'm I'm the exact customer you think I am. Uh-huh. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like no I like some prestige TV. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, we, let's talk music, and then I want to come back to another topic. Um. What is? Do you use Apple Music, by the way? I love all of Apple's products. Oh, of course. What um, are some of your recent uh, added to your library? Oh, so I use Spotify for music, I use okay. for, to be honest. Uh, and I right now I've been using – I really like the Discover feature. Yeah. And basically I treat the Discover feature with incredible cruelty in that I just put it on. And if I hear something, I'm 15 seconds in. I don't like it. I'm on to the next one. Ruthless. It's gone. It's gone. I keep moving. Uh-huh. I keep moving. And if I like something – I add it to my library. There just you hit go. plus or whatever it is. Check. There you go. Whatever whatever symbol is being used these days. What are we talking about? What are our recent discoveries? This is the thing. Because Spotify makes it possible for you to listen to hours and hours and hours of music yep. and know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And so I would be lying to you if I could tell you a single thing mm-hmm. about the music that I've been liking. There, I could pro- there's some if you said bands, I might remember them. Mm-hmm. But but I have this basically algorithm created library. I'm not in charge of it. No human is in charge of it, really, when you think about it. Right. Uh, 
basically market forces, technology, capitalism, Silicon Valley real estate prices, all of that comes together to make my music library. Uh-huh. Uh, that consists of, of question mark, be- question mark, question. beautiful music. Uh-huh. But again, uh, it's uh, Capitals telling is, is in charge of that part yeah. of my phone. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What about all time favorites? All time favorites for music. Like top three. Top three. I'm trying to think of what I go back to again and again. Every like I'll go through Johnny Cash phases where I'll just put on Johnny Cash for a mm-hmm. long time. Um, I like some musicals. So like I love Wicked. I just love Wicked. I'm a gay person, and I love Wicked. And I'll just put on Defying Gravity Mm -hmm. on repeat for a couple of days, you know, (laughs) see where it takes me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm not not a huge music person. I like music, but I've never been a fan. I mean, there's this – Patton Oswalt wrote this great piece in Wired a few years ago about how the internet – makes it easy to, to kind of takes away what it is to be a fan because you can kind of access anything. You don't need real expertise. You can kind of yeah. just dive in. And that really is how I am on music. I am a, I like, I'm an eclectic, I have eclectic taste. I like a lot of different things. I don't know very much about it. I will go through phases where I'm listening to Johnny Cash. I will go through phases where I'm listening to uh, like music soundtracks, like uh, uh, movie soundtracks, like Interstellar will be on for a while just because mm-hmm. I like, you know, yeah. now, I'm on, now I'm on Santa Monica Boulevard. But it's adventurous. You sure. know, I'm experiencing something. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I'll listen to that. I'll listen to uh, like I go through phases. I, I like I. There's a period of time where I was listening to Scheherazade, the uh, symphony, uh, over and over and over and over again. And I have a friend who has access to my Spotify. Like I have two friends on Spotify from that period of time where it was going to be a social network because everything was. Uh-huh. And he'll just text me and just say, "Hey." What are you doing? How how often are you listening? Every time I see it, you're listening to the same three things. You must be writing or something like that. But yeah. so that's that's my honest experience of 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 music. I am a I'm the I'm a pure I'm a very bad music fan. It you is know? it's right. It's so true though. It's it's hard to. It's like when it's so available, you're like, wh- who do I like again? Who I don't I don't I don't even know what I what I want. Yeah, I mean, do you guys use Spotify in a way? Like, do you use these apps in a way that allows you to kind of find out more about what you're listening to, or do you? It just makes it so easy that it removes any work, and so I don't treat it with respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what every music fan is doing now. Right. Yeah. The the experience is devalued. Yeah. That's why I like to buy vinyl now. Yeah. Because you have to go to a store and you have to pick up a thing, you know, go mm-hmm. through a stack of items. You have to go There's something through satisfying a full ritual it. you have to do to yeah. consume it. Yeah. 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 I'm kind of uh, a little bit the same way. I don't – yeah, I um, I don't use the social feature at all. I check out the discovery thing. However, I find myself going back to things I already know and like, you know? Yeah. Which is strange to me. We're now at a time when you can listen to anything in the world. You could listen to any new artist that has been custom tailored for you, and I'm too tired to do it. Yeah, that's freaky. What were you listening to in the car on the way here? You. I was listening to. <laughs> I was listening to today's episode. Of oh, really? Pod Save America. It was yeah. a good and PSA. It's it was Pod Save America. It was. Um, but then I did have to stop, and I put on Dua Lipa because I am a gay person. Good. Yeah. Felt good, right. Good, you. Good, good. Uh, I listened to Pod Save America this morning. I listened to The Last Love It or Leave It recently. Mm-hmm. It was a doozy. It was. We got in a little little conversation about the Democratic Party. It was good. Yeah, and I, I don't. I mean, it, it doesn't normally get that 
You're not normally that challenged by No, and it was a reminder right? that I probably should be. It was nice. It was good to be challenged. And I was sort of caught, caught off guard. I mean, I, uh, this was uh, – so this was a conversation about Peter Strzok. You remember when that was a big story three days ago? Uh-huh. And uh, 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 this uh, professor, uh, Melina Abdullah, she was sort of challenging me on the idea that it was an important story and that it's not something people care about and not something we should focus on. Mm-hmm. And it turned into an interesting conversation about – Democrats and and the importance of winning the House and and you know whether the compromises you make to go along with Democrats you might not agree with on everything and, and what that means and it was interesting. Yeah, it was great. Um, it it reminded me of like a couple of weeks ago when we were we had Our Lady J on and mm-hmm. she's uh, we were talking about her. Love, a couple people brought this up to me. We were talking about her her love life, and she's HIV positive. And uh, I I kept pushing her on the on uh, like you know, do you want to be married? Do you want kids? Is that is that sort of part of your your vision board? Because it seems like it is, but she schooled me a little bit and was like, it's such a that's such an HIV negative. Uh, like perspective that you have that that like to to think that that would be an option for her. Although I stand by, do you know what I'm saying? I like do. I, yeah. I, I I stand by that it should be an option for her. I mean, she's a fucking prize. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uncomfortable, but right, didn't right. Embrace her experience. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I think we're in this moment where, because of social media, because of just societal change. We are learning how to talk to one another when there's no baseline of how people are supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? So that when somebody, you know, it used to be, you know, two people talk, they assume they were both straight. And if somebody assumed you were straight, you just went along with it because that's the assumption. That's our society. It, it, to be, to say, to inter- to interrupt and say, actually, you're, you're, you're committing some act of aggression against me by, denying the possibility of a different experience, obviously those words wouldn't even exist, but uh-huh. also that would be rude, right? Yeah. It would be rude to speak up and defend yourself from yeah. everything from saying that you're actually attracted to men all the way to whatever, sexual harassment. I mean, there's all kinds of things we've decided that that one kind of experience doesn't get an advantage, but it means learning how to have, you know, th- there's just, we're learning. Even, yeah. even the most progressive people, the most liberal people are learning. Yeah. That's not to say you were wrong to ask the question. It's just that we're all figuring out yeah. what it means to respect someone else's experience, right? And yeah. and sometimes, by the way, respecting someone's experience can mean disagreeing about what's appropriate and what's not. That's part of it. And we're all, I don't know, it's it's hard to remember. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, I find it's when, when I'm on the receiving end of a moment like that, which happens from time to time, obviously, where nobody's perfect, that I think to myself, oh, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I definitely realize that if I benefit from patience, so does somebody else too, right. you know? Yeah. Right. What do you make of the, uh, the sort of trendy notion that like if you do push back in any way or do stand up for your own experience, you will make mild racists or homophobes into super racists and homophobes? You know, like people will get offended and they get like re-entrench themselves in whatever ignorant viewpoint they had. You know, it's very silly – it's not how people are. It's not how people think. I don't – I've I've been insulted in many different ways. I don't believe it's made me more liberal. Right. Uh, and I think people are largely the same. 
I think it's an excuse. Do I think that in a larger way, forget any interaction, that you can alienate groups of people and then that group of people can become more radical amongst themselves? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. There is some truth to that. Yeah. But when it's applied to N equals one, you know, this one exchange, this is how Trump tap Trump happens. No, that's ridiculous. Right. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it's an and it's an excuse and it's blaming the wrong people. Right. Are you upset by the um the old Trump and Putin are secretly gay for each other jokes? I saw people being bothered by it. I, under- being bothered. I understand being bothered by it. I don't find them particularly funny. I would be lying if I said I saw it and I got mad because I just didn't. I didn't – What? <laughs> and, I, and I respect those that do mm-hmm. and I think they're actually right. Like I, I ultimately think if the way you're looking at – if the way you think to make fun of Putin and Trump is to make them gay for each other, I think it's hacky. Yeah. I think it's stupid. Very unimaginative. But it it doesn't get me that upset. Now, that might also – but then I think maybe that's a point of privilege because <laughs> homophobia is so removed from my daily experience. You know, I'm, I'm my own boss in Los Angeles. You know, what, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. You know, my, my family is accepting. My friends are accepting. I've been open for a long time. So, of course, that doesn't hurt me. But it is absolutely true that that kind of idea does trickle down. And so so I actually kind of have talked myself into seeing why it's harmful. And that works. Same. Yeah. Because the the part that I always took issue with is that, you know, people are – People find it so upsetting because the implication is, and that's the worst thing you can be. Mm-hmm. And I've, that's never been my read of those. There, to me, the read has always been that we're, we're pushing the buttons of the homophobia that we know is there in those people. And to me, it's like, if we can do that, great. It does, you know what I mean? It, it's never personally upset me. But yeah, hearing people talk about it, the more, I, I mean, I'm convinced as well. Yeah, so. no, I am. And I guess it's for me, it's, it's, it's actually... I. I didn't even occur it didn't even occur to me that that was the idea that it's being used to make people who are homophobic understand our position right to to make them feel bad about their support because when when you're talking about cartoons and I, I don't I didn't watch it I saw people sharing it and I saw some cl- I saw little screenshots of yeah. the lovey-dovey Trump Putin thing that isn't aimed at <laughs> that's not aimed at exurban Arizona and Trump voters that's aimed at us right that's aimed at the kind of cultural conversation we're all swirling in every single day. And so for me, what bothers me about it, for me, right, not being a pundit. So often it's – it's we're so steeped in punditry and meta-analysis all the time that we we forget the first step. Like, OK, I see that. What do I feel about it? And I'll be honest that I feel nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, well, what's the problem? And And you're identifying different kinds of problems. The thing that bugs me about it is it also, in a subtler way – is saying here's the only kind of way there's either like this is how men this is what male love is right that the idea that like that that the only kind of male love is gay male love they're so they're so in love they're gay for each other yeah. but actually one thing we have to do is move away from that idea that that gayness is not the end of the love spectrum between men it's a kind of love but like man those guys are so close they die for each other and tell each other their secrets, but in a totally non-romantic way, you know? Uh-huh. So so that was sort of a small thing that I was like, you know, 
why is why is the ultimate love fucking? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's one way a relationship can go. We always go in that way. But so that's homophobic too. Having said all that, we can all agree that Mike Pence is a flaming queen oh. and wants dick now, right? That is. I mean, it's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what? No, I don't know. I, do, I don't know. John? You're I, the expert. I will. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. You're a dignified I, person. I, I no, I'm. You know, no. I would. You know, I've thought about this. I made a joke about. I'm, I find myself once in a while making that kind of joke. And then I think to myself. Why did I do that? Do I really think Mike Pence is gay? Like, I don't. I think he's weird. I think he's creepy. I think he's broken inside. Uh But it's never, I don't know. I've never actually truly thought. I've never, it it wouldn't have occurred to me to, I don't know. Now I'm rambling. I can see it behind his eyes. Really? I believe it in my bones. Wow. I just think he is so Catholic. He's Catholic, right? Well, wh- whatever religion he is, yeah. he is so that religion that it's just like he's wound the fuck up with it, you know? Yes, and like right. any se- any sex that is not in the context of marriage is like, get it away from me. Like it's it's just – he's just too – it's too – you know, it, it is of a kind of with his not being able to have a meal with a woman without his wife present. God, I forgot about that too. Yeah, just too that much. feels like years ago, doesn't it? Yeah, I think he's gay for power. I think okay. that. Uh, I think that what I see behind those dead eyes, dead eyes, is a Reagan impression and not much else. I mean, yeah. he went out there yesterday and said, "America has seen for all the world that we finally have a president who will stand up for America and put America first. And it's it's such a crazy sentence to utter after that Helsinki meeting. Yeah, that. Perhaps you do need to have lived a lie to do it. Oh, no. I've convinced myself yet again on another topic. (laughs) So we're all over the place on this and every topic. Um, Um, We should take a break. Yeah, let's do that. And we'll be back. Oh, Dollar Shave Club. Dollar, dollar, dollar shave club. Dollar, dollar shave club, y'all. They deliver everything you need to look your best, to feel your best, to smell your best. Mm, dollar you shave it. club, uh, they've got, you name it, they've got your shampoo, they've got your conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe. Dave, when I tell you this thing makes your tush feeling clean. You know, I'm just going to point out that on the copy – it says they'll leave your touch feeling tingly clean. There's a reason you oh, left that out. I was trying. You know what? I was I was doing a hybrid improv reading was that, that, that old technique okay. that works very well for me I got when you. we do ads. Did you just not? I mean, was a tingly ass too much for you to to think about in the moment? Or I think I just there was a there was a verb down agreement pro- problem with what I had already said, and I was trying to make it work. Yeah, I've already forgotten it. I'm it's, living in the moment. It's too much for me to talk about, but it does feel good. Uh, I also like their amber and lavender uh, calming body cleanser for oh. when, for when I get all. Head up. You never, I have never smelled anything like it. Yum. Best of all, Dollar Shave Club's products are great. They're made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budge. And guess what? With your membership, you get shipping for free. So here's what you do for just five bucks, you get their daily essential starty kit. Uh huh. Starter kit. Starty Daily kit. Essential Starter Kit. He calls it a starty kit. They're close. <laughs> the starty kit comes with body <laughs> cleanser. One wipe Charlies. Have I told you about these one wipe Charlies? They Matt, leave yeah. your tush feeling tingly clean. Oh boy. Anyway, uh, also in the starty kit, you get their world famous shave butter and the best razor, which is the six blade executive. Wow. 
Yeah, and you can keep the blades coming for just a few more bucks a month. Add in shampoo, toothpaste, anything else you need. Anything else you need. It's all at dollarshaveclub.com slash homo. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I didn't hear that. Dollarshaveclub.com slash homo. Woo! Beautiful stories from anonymous people. I legitimately love this podcast. Oh, it's, it's incredible. It's so great. Uh, if you don't know it, it's the show where comedian Chris Gethard talks to one anonymous caller for one hour. Chris cannot hang up until the hour is over. He could stop. He could get yelled at and berated for a whole hour. He's got to mm-hmm. take it. Rarely happens, though. What does end up happening is beautiful conversations. Um, with people who he will never probably talk to again. It's profound. Honestly, it really is. I mean, and it gives callers from all over the world a platform to really open up. So they're talking about their dreams and struggles and families, all kinds of real life stuff. And mm-hmm. it's hilarious. It's heartwarming. It's unlike anything you've ever heard. You know, uh, a couple of recent ones, uh, people talked to Chris in a moment just before their life was about to change. There was a... Uh, a woman who is about to uh, go on what we will call an Orange is the New Black Ask journey. Mm. Um, and about uh, she talks about how uh, getting caught helped her get sober. Then there was a one recently where Gethard had a very touching call with a young man grappling with his sexuality who then came out of the closet on the show. Mm. He's gay. So are we. Yeah. And so are you. Connection. Yeah. If you haven't listened yet, now is a great time to subscribe to Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. You can find it on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Do it. We are back with John Lovett. Yo. John. John. Now the segment of the show I've been so excited to get to with you. This is when we talk about your love life. Oh, okay. Um, What's your current relationship status? I've been in a relationship for a while. How long is a while? It's a while. A while. I, okay. Okay. Uh, I guess like six years. Wow. Impressive. That's impressive. I <laughs> had, not to brag, a general meeting a few weeks ago, which of course <laughs> just means you're gossiping the whole time. Uh-huh. And of course, we start talking about the state of the world. And this person had just been to a Pod Save America related event. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it was so great because afterward, Anyway, that is a whole other – it doesn't matter. But uh, at the end of this this great conversation we were having, she was like, and do you know who John Lovett has been in a relationship with for eight years? And my head exploded and I sent Dave and Dana a text, all caps, guys, 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 a million texts long. Are you sitting down? Are you ready for this? And Dave's response was, yeah, everyone knows that. So this isn't news. It's on your Wikipedia page also. So, I'm, I mean, <laughs> this is a safe topic, right? Yeah. I mean, I just don't talk about my relationship at all. Okay. Okay. So, it's going to be a short <laughs> segment. Yeah. Well, John, <laughs> thanks for being here. No, it's uh, – we, How about we talk about life before your relationship? Yeah, sure. Um, can you tell us the John Lovett coming out story? Oh, sure. That's good. Uh, so, I uh, – <laughs> So I I I remember I remember not knowing I was gay, and then I remember one year later being sure. And uh, I don't remember what happens in that year, right? It's such a strange thing. How old were you in this year? I think that was like between thirteen and fourteen. Sure. Uh, told a couple close friends when I was like seventeen, and then I remember it was time to tell my parents, and it was I think during the during a summer break from either my first or second year of college. I think it was my second year of college. 
So I was 18, I guess. And I had told a bunch of people at school and I was like, all right, I'm going to tell my parents over this Christmas break. And I came up with a trick. And it's a trick I recommend. I recommend it on many a national coming out day because it's very effective. Because it's like it's like reading Dickens. It's something you don't want to do, but something you definitely want to have done, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I went to my parents. I went to my mother and I said, Mom, I have a really important um, – I have something really important to tell you. It's not bad. It's not. It's not. Uh, nothing bad's happening. It's actually fine. Uh-huh. Uh, it's really serious and important, and I need to sit down and tell you about it tomorrow. Oh my god! Ooh. And she's John. like, "You know what? I've been living with this fucking shit for four years, and it was time for someone else to carry it for one day." <laughs> yeah, you know, you're one not wrong. day. You're not wrong. So I said, "It's really important, and I'm going to tell you tomorrow." And she's like, what, what could it possibly be? Tell me now. I'm so well, I'm worried. I'm worried. Don't be worried. I'm telling you, you don't have to be worried. It is big news. And it's coming tomorrow. And the reason I did this was because the more I built it up, the harder it would be to lie to get out of it. Uh-huh. And I took myself from being in a situation where I had to proactively go to my parents and tell them this hard thing that I was nervous about doing to having my mom being desperate to try to get something out of me. Yeah. So it just reversed the whole game. Yeah. And so then the, 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 I think I didn't actually make it to the next day. It was like, I'd said this like midday. This was now like after dinner, like night. She's like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then I sat her down. I told her. Wow. And? And we had a very uh, nice, uh, uh, intimate moment of she being supportive and being, saying that she was sorry I had gone through it alone for so long and that she wished she had known sooner, which was very lovely. I told my father, uh, you know, he was struggling to find emotional words to deal with it, but he tried his best. And uh, that was it. Um, wow. I think it took some time. I think it raised a lot of, you know, these, these, this, it's a big emotional thing. I don't know what your guys' experiences were, but, but it was a big emotional thing when you introduce something like that. It, it, you know, it's like um, it's like pulling it's like pulling up something from the bottom of a seabed. Like a bunch of other stuff comes up with it and is uh-huh. floating in the water that you have to kind of sort through as well. Uh, but it was ultimately good, and you know, we sort of talked about it a lot that night. Talked about it more over the next couple of weeks, and slowly, slowly uh, became normal. The genius of that move <laughs> is that for your parents. You introduced into the emotional stew relief. Yes. Like a positive emotion that will lift the rest of it up. Absolutely. Right? Because mm-hmm. you know that even though you said it wasn't bad, that their imaginations were running wild. So right? I, obviously there are caveats, right? If, if you're afraid that, you're, that you'll get an incredibly negative reaction, uh-huh. it's I think an, a not the right way to do it. But if you think that your parents are going to be anywhere from totally supportive – to worried, reluctant, confused, will have questions. It was a great method. Yeah. Um, because we're all, you know, we're, we procrastinate about everything. And it's always easier to do something tomorrow. Uh-huh. And then you never do it. And so I finally said, well, I punish my future self all the time. I'll, yeah. I'll push off work. I'll eat something I shouldn't eat. I, I hate my future self. Uh, my future self can, I, I fuck over my future self every single day. So you know what, future self? You're telling mom you're gay. Smart move. <laughs> wow. 
And what year are we talking about? This must be 2001. Okay. Okay. I think for a kid to pull that one today, I have something to tell you tomorrow. It's not bad news, but it's coming tomorrow. You're gay. Yeah. I mean, right? There's no. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So like, so four years before you started to, you started to conceptualize it. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we're talking. Yeah. I think that I had to, you know, there's a great, uh, I think it's uh it's a Simpsons line. What's the name of the the little nerdy kid? The 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 the, the point the, the the smart kid. Martin. Martin. Uh, there's a moment where some bully says to Martin, "You're gay," and Martin goes, "I'm not gay. I'm nothing yet." Yeah. And I I always appreciated that because you know we put straightness onto kids, and then that straightness becomes gay. But of course, kids are often nothing. They they may have they may have other you know gay qualities, feminine qualities, what have you, non-traditionally masculine, you know, qualities that aren't traditionally masculine, they may like theater, but, but attraction comes later for a lot of kids. And I was one of them. So I was nothing, you know, I, I sort it slowly started dawning me. It dawned on me too. One thing that dawned on me was, oh, when I was seven or eight, when I was like really admiring, when I, I thought I wanted to be those boys, you know, I, uh-huh. like I'd see the kind of handsome, athletic kids. And I remember being a little kid and just thinking, that's so cool. That's so cool. What he, he's playing with a soccer ball and all the girls like him. That's the coolest thing. I want to be like that. But of course, in hindsight, I look back, I was like, oh, I was a little kid with a crush. Right. But I didn't have the words for it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get them. No. But now uh, I think maybe they do. They do now. Yeah. A lot of places. Not everywhere, obviously. Most places they don't. But there are places where you get the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Which is cool. Yeah. Whether they fit for you or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you, when did you first start uh, wading into the dating pool or the holding hands with boys pool? I was um, late to it. I think that it was less, <laughs> I was, you know, when I was in like l- even early high school, I remember some kids were picking on me because I was wearing sweatpants. And there was always a popular kid who would be nice to me. And I remember he kind of shooed off these kids that were making fun of me for wearing sweatpants. And this other boy looked at me and he goes, come on, John, at least get the kind with pockets. Which is just a way of saying (laughs) that I had a lot of obstacles to dating above and beyond the fact that I was a closeted gay kid. (laughs) Uh, And that continued to be true for some time. Yeah. Yeah. So when did it start? College. Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I, w- I, w- I went to Williams College in Massachusetts, which uh-huh. is a tiny college in the middle of nowhere. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, I was not thinking enough about the fact that I was gay when I was making this decision. Yep. Because I was deciding between New York City or rural Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I went, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think rural Massachusetts makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and it didn't. Well... Was it at least like an incubator in a way? Like were you able to just sort of work through it in isolation? Yeah, I, I think that I think that it was probably good for me that I didn't feel I didn't feel like I had to go to gay bars, which I probably wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was. Like, I remember a friend and I when we moved to DC after college, we like went to a gay bar together for the first time, and it was really nerve wracking because we'd never done it before. And I think that the fact that even when I was twenty two. It was a big deal. Yeah. Was a is a sign that at nineteen twenty, it was good that 
it was much more it was much more personal and much less uh high energy that that it was oh you know oh this it was slower and there are fewer people and it wasn't as exciting and it was much more about one person to one person and just sort of feeling things out and trying to see who likes who and that kind of thing. Yeah. Who was the first other gay person you met? That is such a good question. I've never thought about that before really? in my life. Well, let's dive deep. Let's get into who it. Who is let's the delve. first gay person I met? I am assuming I know who it was. It was there was there was <laughs> there was a, a a there was a gay kid in my high school. And, and 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 I think everybody knew he was gay. I think a lot of people knew I was gay, but I, I nobody told us. You know, they yeah. would tell you, but they wouldn't tell you. Right. Insult you, but they wouldn't tell you. Yeah. And so I remember I bumped into him literally 15 years later, maybe at a at a place called Nelly's in DC. Uh-huh. And uh and I <laughs> and I I went up to him and I was like so you were gay. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and you were gay. And uh, and then I said, all I remembered about you is that you were probably gay and that you gave a kidney to your dad. Wow. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I was gay. <laughs> cool. All right. See you, you again. At, see you in 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What about after you came out? Like, who was the... Um, well, there was a couple gay kids at Williams, mm-hmm. and I, you know, became friends with them. Right. Because uh, I think a lot of people were coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that always has, you know, those early, those early gay people that you know, it's so hard because I think, well, I don't know. For me, it's like there's, everyone's struggling with this identity, with the truth being that you're not totally comfortable with it yet. And so you're putting things on other people. Um, but at the same time, you're trying to feel like you're part of something. So I remember going to like uh, one of those uh, student union, like the the QSU, I think it was called at the time. Although over the course of my time at Williams, more and more letters did get added. It was one of those places where mm-hmm. by the end, you know, it was like yeah. the letters letter are spilling off the edge of the flag. Uh-huh. But the uh, uh, I went to the QSU. I think I think it went, the letter started, it was the kind of thing where, you know, letters pile up. They get swept off the board, replaced by a queue, and all of a sudden some letters start appearing next to the queue. And like, mm-hmm. the queue's like, but I – the whole point of me is to take care of you. I'm here to stop this. So the queue's trying to eat the, the I's and the A's and the P's and whatever. And so anyway, uh, I went to one of those where – and the whole thing was it was going to – you know, the, this is such a college thing. But all right, we're going to take – we're going to do the thing where we do chalkings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, what exactly is the goal here? I'm just going to draw vaginas on the – uh, outside the Bronfman Student Center, that's not me. I, yeah. uh, I, I'm glad it's you, but and that's not me. I don't. I don't want to draw on the ground. Uh-huh. It doesn't make me feel yeah. good. Uh-huh. I don't feel powerful. Yeah. <laughs> it feels the opposite for me. So I think that's weird. And also, and I remember it was funny. I was such a little political kid because I at the time I said something like, "Who is this for?" Because everyone here is pretty supportive. Is it for? people from the town wandering through because like our professors are cool and all the students seem mostly cool i the football team lives next door to me and they think i'm funny it's okay yeah you know so william it was sort of i i struggled with the separateness but also the kind of i putting the identity first uh guy brown i'm, I'm sure you guys of course you know guy uh he has in in his book that's coming out he talks about 
what it's like to see gay representation and how unsatisfying it is because it's not you. There are so many straight characters around that you can find one that's you or you can see them all together as representing straightness and you don't have to identify with them. But when there are so few gay characters, uh, they, you, you're so disappointed that here you've been waiting this whole time to see what it's like to see a gay character and it doesn't represent everybody and there's not enough to to give you a sense of the universality of it. And so it's, it leaves you with a kind of little sort of sad feeling. And that's a little bit what it was like for me, I think, to meet gay people for the first time. Because it's like, all right, I'm gay and you're gay and you're – this This is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. I've been keeping this secret for so long and now is this what it is to be gay? Because I'm going to be gay my own way. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes time. It took me time to feel comfortable. Right. Are, Are there, there some sense? examples yeah, of, totally. of gay representation that you – were were really struck by or that did resonate with you? Um, I remember finding Queer as Folk very depressing because mm-hmm. I try, I watched like one episode and it must, I don't remember exactly when it was on, but I remember seeing it and just seeing how there was such a melancholy show. Mm-hmm. I didn't even remember the characters or the dialogue. I don't remember anything. I just remember the mood of it uh-huh. and the mood of it always felt so sad. And I remember like some of them were really handsome and some of them weren't that handsome, but they were all sad. And uh-huh. some of them were slutty and some of them weren't, and they were sad. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to be sad. That's what I have to <laughs> And I didn't want to be sad. Yeah. I wanted to be happy. I get it. Have you seen the original, the British? No. It's much livelier. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. It's a lot of fun. It's a good endorsement. Interesting. Yeah. I recommend it highly. I also, I feel like at some point there was a show on MTV where there was like always three stories running through. Undressed. Is that what it was? That's what it was. And I remember, I remember there was, a, there was every once in a while there'd be gay characters. Yeah. But then when the gay characters kiss, they always cut to an insanely wide shot. Mm-hmm. And I, and it made me, I was like, is this, you can't show that on MTV? Can't show oh. two boys kissing on MTV? They, yeah. They'd show it, but you have to be so far away. Uh-huh. Like, what are you, are you hiding it from God? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, my version Do you remember of that, that? Absolutely. But the version for me was Melrose Place when Matt, the gay yeah. character, like kissed the boy that he had been going out with for four episodes. And they like, the two of them go closer together. And then the camera goes away to Andrew <laughs> Shue in a window going, <gasps> like that. So we didn't even get that. That yeah. was the moment On Andrew fucking Shue Melrose and Place. Huh? And no, how- he knew, but he was just like, boys are kissing. <laughs> I think one of them was like his friend or something. So, mm. Boys are kissing. Yeah. It is shocking. To it see. is a little shocking. It is. We're still not fully there. No. No. I mean, you know, you see Brokeback Mountain, but someone wrote this at the time when Brokeback Mountain came out that said like, all right, Brokeback Mountain is important, but like where's the one fine day where like Brad Pitt sure. and George Clooney end up together? Yeah. You know, I want, I, I've said this before, but I want a movie where Chris Evans any of the two of the four Chris's, uh-huh. a Pratt, a Hemsworth. Sure. Uh, I'm missing a Chris. Um, uh, Pine. Yeah, Pine. Of course. Evans. Did you say Evans? I said Evans, yeah. Pine, Evans, Pine, Pratt, and Hemsworth. Yep. You know what? We'll put your names in a hat. We'll pull out two. You're mm-hmm. falling in love in a film. Oh, I love that. And one of you owns a frozen yogurt store. <laughs> the other sells it by the pint. Yep. And it's a source of tension. But, but they're all straight actors, and you're going to get knocked for. You know what? I know that, and I've thought about that, and I have some solutions. Let's hear them. There's going to be a lot of gay people in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Support. All the straight parts are All the straight parts are okay. played by gay characters. Oh, that's fantastic. Great. I that's would fantastic. like to see 
I don't know. I'm trying to think. We got we got Zachary Quinto. We got the whole cast sure. of Boys in the Band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have Matt. Oh uh, yeah, Matt Bomer is there. Um, we have Russell Tovey. I sure, need sure. an excuse to see him more. Mike Pence. Uh, sure. All the greats. Perhaps all the great <laughs> queens of our time. <laughs> That's funny. What was your first uh, date? My first, I think, true date was so I went to the UK for my sophomore year, uh-huh. and I went and there was a. I was very lucky because one of my friends that I went to uh, went abroad with was gay, and he was just ahead of me in the curve. You know, uh-huh. he was just he was I think just more socially adept, but also just more comfortable, faster, and good for him. But he was like, let's go to this thing. It's a, it's a gay meetup. It's a gay thing. And I went there, and I met somebody there, and then we went on a date. Just a, I, It's funny. I retained none of it. Wow. But I, but I remember that I was supposed to write a paper that night, and I just said, I don't, I'm not going to do it. And so I went on this first date, and the date ended at like, you know, one in the morning or something. And I then like st- had to stay up and work from 1 a.m., to 7 a.m. writing this paper I was supposed to write. Uh-huh. But I didn't really care about it because I'd just gone on a first date. It was so exciting. Yeah. And you don't remember what you did? I, I'm sitting here. I have nothing. Wow. I have no, I have no memory of it. I could, I could email him and ask him, and I bet he'll – I'm sort of arrogant to be like, he'll remember. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of the most important nights of his life. <laughs> but uh, he can tell me what we did. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's hear from him. I'd love to get that follow-up. <laughs> so you've remained friends, perhaps. No, but we have, we've uh, – uh, emails have been shared. This is, you know, once every four or five years. Mm-hmm. Would not would not say friends. Okay. Because this did turn into a relationship? That you- This turned into a relationship. Oh. A short, a short relationship, like two or three months. Short but significant. It was my first real relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you take a shit on his heart or vice versa? You know – um, it was a it was a logistical challenge because we were going back to the U.S. and and he was going to a different place than me. Though I do believe, if I remember, uh, he thought we were going to stay together, and I just assumed we weren't. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I I think I started talking about how well this was you know this is coming to an end, mm-hmm. and that was a surprise. Mm-hmm. So that set off a conversation. Again, I was learning how yeah. to talk to people. I still. I still make those kinds of mistakes. That wasn't even a first relationship thing. That was a just reading the room thing. <laughs> I have a feeling he remembers that first date. I'd love to know. I'm going to ask him. Um, we'll get him on. <laughs> am I correct that you never had sort of a I'm out, I'm young, a, 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 like a, a party phase where you're hitting, hitting up the gay bars all the time? You're there was a period in D.C. when I would go out a bit. And like, there's it's not DC, especially because there's so many people working for the government. Maybe there's a drug culture there. I wasn't a part of it. I was just a drinking culture. And so I would go to like this place called Nelly's on Thursdays. There's a place. Oh, maybe there's the diner, the duplex diner on U Street. Maybe that was Thursdays and Nelly's was Friday. I don't remember. But I would go out one or two times a week, and often with gay people. And I used to like some. Yeah, I actually. Sometimes I'd like start the night with this with my straight friends and then go meet the gay friends. Sometimes you start with the gay friends and then you meet the straight friends. Sort of, I'd, I'd go back and forth. I, I always like liked having tiers. Uh-huh. You know, it was my first tier, my second tier, maybe a third tier. Sure. You know, if you're going to really have a night, uh-huh. sure. love a third tier. Yeah. And uh, so that was the closest thing I had to a party phase. But yeah. it's pales in compare. In the my party phase 
would be shocked to meet the party phases of some others. And would, it would look more like a library phase, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. What phase are you in in, uh, in L.A.? Like what's your oh, I'm social? A, yeah, I'm in a video games and uh-huh. I'm in a real uh, – yeah, the, the – I do not go out very much in L.A. I, I meet friends for dinner and then maybe a drink and then I'm home. I'm a real homebody these days. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. And that's – is that because you're happy in a no. relationship? Or I'm is happy it, in a relationship. Or is it just that L.A. Uh, nightlife is abysmal? I don't – you know, it's funny. I've been living in L.A. for as long as I've been in a relationship. And uh-huh. part of the reason I felt like I was ready to leave D.C. in part because like I felt like I didn't know – Dating wasn't working for me there. I just wasn't – I feel. I felt like I knew a lot. It felt small and big. It just felt wrong. Like I just felt like I had met a lot of people and I'd been around and I didn't really feel like I'd hit off with anybody that I wanted to see. And I just was sick of politics and I think I was sick of people in politics in part because I was sick of myself in politics. And so I just like I'm getting out. But right before I left, I met somebody. Uh-huh. And so my experience of being in L.A. was being in a relationship, often a long-distance relationship – and so I didn't even – I realized even in the past like two years, like, oh, you know, I just need more gay friends here. Not mm-hmm. just, just gay friends because I feel like that's a missing part of my life, which is something I've been working on. Uh, but uh, one thing about – I just realized too that for me going out was about dating. Yeah. It, I, I don't love – let's go to a bar and just drink and meet people. That's just not what I like to do. I like my friends. I like talking to my friends like quiet. But and once in a while, it's like let's just go out and see what happens. It's fun, but that's just not. I think part of the reason maybe I was sick of DC is that that's what DC is. It's a lot of yeah. go to a bar and meet people, and go to another bar and talk to people. And I just yeah. maybe was ready to put a end to that chapter. Sure, that's how it looks on Scandal. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> sexy people mm-hmm. in bars hooking up. Um, well, yeah, I I would just like to conclude. Yes, I mean this is. It's hacky, but I just need to know the answer. Hmm. Um, fuck, Mary kill. Ooh. Bill Hammer. Tucker Carlson. Let's say Shepard Smith. I don't know who Bill Hammer is. There's one correct answer. I mean, so I will say, having been the victim of many people debating whether to fuck or marry John and Tommy after they decided to <laughs> kill me uh-huh. uh, early in the process, I do not like this game. Yeah. Uh, however, it seems, <laughs> you know, I don't know how you could not marry Shep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. I think, think after that, you know, you can draw your own conclusions. You don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm crazy. Person. Oh, yeah. He could be. Yeah. He's yeah, cute. That's not a, person. and he looks a little, that's like his love boat, little title card. But yeah, no, he's a good looking guy. But Shep Smith's the only one on that network. Shep Smith and Chris Wallace are the only two people on that network who every once in a while. I, and you know what? Tip of my hat to Neil Cavuto, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoever, who has, as of late, managed to say, tell the truth once in a while. Yeah. But uh, not, a lot of, uh, not a lot of truth tellers on the Fox News. A friend and I were talking about it, that it's, you know, the movie Thinner, uh-huh. where he hit the, the 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 guy hit somebody with his car and then uh-huh. he's cursed and the curse is thinner uh-huh. and you get you just get thinner aspirational uh no i know curse me curse me <laughs> it's funny even that movie is so dated because i believe it's a gypsy curse and it's like that's nah, not allowed uh, you're not allowed to do that anymore yeah. but anyway what i was going to say is in the spirit of the movie recognizing that it's inappropriate curse me with the thinner curse gypsy 
You know, that's what yeah. I would say. Uh-huh. But it's inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> because of the movie's inappropriate. I don't know how you, you know. Yeah. It's a Breakfast at Tiffany situation. Yeah. All right? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What doesn't kind of thing? Doesn't belong in today's world. Doesn't belong in today's You're from a different time, Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> but uh, all I was going to say is Fox News is like that curse. It just goes out to people and just goes, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that anybody – what percentage of on-air talent do you believe believes the bullshit that's coming out of their mouths? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. I think that they know they're being sensational and entertaining. How much they have convinced themselves that it's a, ver- it's a, it's a fair enough version of the truth, I don't mm-hmm. know. There's this uh, Upton Sinclair line, which is uh, it's very difficult to get a man to believe what his livelihood depends on not believing. Uh-huh. And I think that we are not honest enough even with ourselves, about how much we believe because if we didn't, it would require us to experience a great deal of pain. Mm-hmm. And we're very good at protecting ourselves from that kind of pain. And that goes for us. That goes for the cast of Fox and Friends and everyone in between. Right. And then a lot of people in between. It's a good answer. I have three quick final questions. One, will you ever run for office? I don't know. Hmm. I was expecting a flat no. Yeah, you usually get a flat no on one of those. So I, I've i tried to think to myself, I, I I think that we ask it like, what do you want to be is a very stupid question to ask. What do you want to be doing is a very good question to ask. And so I ask myself, what do I want to be doing? Right now, I love what I'm doing. And, you know, if you had asked me a while ago, like, do you want to run for office? I would have I would have either said yes or no, but if I were to consider it, it'd be because I want to kind of do what I'm doing now, which is talk about politics, have an outlet for my passion about politics, uh, be part of the conversation, try to do my best to make the best arguments I can for the policies I believe in. Like, that's what I love doing. And in fact, I think, and I ended up back in politics after years apart from it, in part because, not just because this crazy thing happened where we elected our worst person president, but also because... I felt a little bit adrift as a writer because ultimately what I wanted writing to do was 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 to connect back to the world of our civic society. I wanted to be part of that conversation and maybe writing was a way to do it, maybe it wasn't, but so so I don't know. I just know that right now anything that I thought running for office would have been for, I feel like I get to do. I get to talk about the issues I care about. We reach people, get to Active, help people become activists and, and, and make a difference where we can. And I'm working with my best friends doing that. So right now, I'm that's what I want to be doing. I think that more likely than not, I would never run for anything because I'll ask that question again and mm-hmm. the answer won't be raising money from corporations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I wouldn't do that. But but you know what I mean? Um, that's my thought on it. All right. I forgot what my other – oh, do you – are this is uh, – do you, are, are children in your future – Maybe. Maybe. I think so. I think so. Um, I think so. Okay. How about that? Last question. Do you and your person ever, I don't know, have a double date with Rachel Maddow and Susan? <laughs> Has that ever happened? That is not. <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, I don't think Rachel Maddow really ever leaves that office. You know, she's just writing cards and putting things together. I think she works very hard. That show is on pretty late. 
Okay. You know, so but not uh, yet. but but not yet. But a, but I would tell you it is absolutely a goal to work toward. A goal I didn't know I had. A goal I do have now. It's Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Wow. I'm going to get that for you. I'm going to get that I, dinner on the books. I, that is a very feasible. I'm going to make that happen. You should. God. I've gone drinking with Rachel Maddow. What? Whoa. Yeah. She used to be a bartender at a party and she used to at the MSNBC White House Correspondents Dinner after party. Really? She would tend bar back there for fun. She was just a hobby. She liked to yeah. do it. She did it at that. She did it at one of the other, like the legislative correspondence centers. Uh-huh. And so she'd just be back there, you know, making cocktails. Yeah. So I actually think I have, in a way, had a drink with Rachel Maddow, but it was yeah. her serving it to me it. as yeah. a stranger. Uh-huh. But yours seems like it was probably better. I, it kind of was. It uh-huh. was. Uh-huh. It was. Uh-huh. It was. Okay, I'm going to drop names like crazy. Please. Um, it was when I was in New York and Paul F. Tompkins was in New York, both on like short-term things. And he was like, come to where I am right now. You will not believe this table. So I go and it's him, uh, John Hodgman, Rachel Maddow, and I'm the fourth person. Where was this? And it was – I forget the name of the bar. But was it in New York? Or did it you was in New York. York. Because John Hodgman was the entertainer at the dinner where Rachel really? Maddow was at the bar. So I too – anyway, continue. Wow. Sorry. You Again, catching up to do McConkey. Um, so the thing was, she was she was the next morning. She was going to have breakfast on the Upper East Side with Robert Redford, as who was does. a big fan of hers, mm-hmm. and wanted to talk to her about his million liberal causes and whatever. But she was like, I don't know the first thing about him. So it was it was the three of us giving her like a crash <laughs> course on all things on his like entire That's film so career funny. and all that. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. What What were the like what? What would you say? You'd yeah. say to me. I would say all the president's men. All the president's men. I'd say the candidate. The candidate. Um, the way we were. Uh, and I would say three days of the Condor. And all, did we already say all the president's men? We did. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. But it's funny that a classic. But like for me, it's all the president's men, the candidate, and uh-huh. three three days of the Condor. Okay. Well, you had not been drinking for hours. No, but no, so I, I, that's not, it's, really not a, it's not a drinking thing. It's just an opinion yeah. thing. Okay. No, I, I agree that Butch Cassidy is the right one to go to. You know, right. But I'm saying for me, what sticks with me when I think of Robert Redford, those are the three. Mm-hmm. Is that helpful? It is. It is. If, if this comes around again, I'll edit. <laughs> and I hope it does. Yeah. Oh, I hope you come around again. This yes. was great. This was such a delight. I had a blast. Pundit so is much. a dream dog. I scared Pundit out of, out of her nap when uh, I learned that you had been drinking with Rachel. <laughs> okay. Now, all Oops. of the people listening to this mm-hmm. understand that there are many people, other hosts of Pod Save America, who have claimed that Pundit barks and is disruptive and creates trouble. What? Mm-hmm. You were here. Yeah. You saw. She has there ever been a quieter dog for the recording of a podcast? No, no she, she was a dream. Perfectly. She was mm-hmm. a dream. Those are malicious lies. <laughs> thank you, John Lovett. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This thank was you great. Was so much fun. Well, that was. Uh, that was a lot. We got through that it. That was a doozy. It was. Now, what do you think? Did you love it or leave it? Uh, I loved it. Yeah. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah. Loved it so much. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, great, great conversation. Yeah. Wow, what a doll. And obviously we would like to let our massive listening audience know about this upstart podcast <laughs> yeah. called Pod Save America that you really ought to listen to. Yeah. And um, also love it or leave it. And also love it or leave it, obviously. Uh, John Lovett, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, Dana. Yes. 
Thank you, Ben Wise, for the music. Thank you, Airwolf. Thank you, listener. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Dave. And thank you, Whitney Houston. Thank you, Whitney Houston. I'll see you in Montreal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Can't yeah. Wait. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point, and we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.